You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. Go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're just going to be looking at three verses today, verses 9 through 11. I would say there's so much richness in these three verses that there's no way in about 20 minutes that I can accomplish showing that. So, But turn there to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 9 through 11. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, as Ian said, you're, you're a God who has revealed yourself through your creation. But ultimately, you're a God that has revealed yourself through Scripture. You're a God who has spoken. You're a God who speaks. You've given us your word your sacred word that is alive, that's living, that's active, that can pierce our souls. So Father, we pray you would do that today. Speak to us. Show us the beauty and the glory of who you are and what you've done and accomplished through and in your son. Fill us in this time with your presence, with your power, with your spirit. We confess our need for you. We thank you for so many things that we can celebrate. Being out here today, just being able to. For Ruthie Campbell, I know for Michelle and Chad, for their new baby as well, Father, we praise you for new life, but ultimately we praise you for eternal life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our main point today is going to be this, that Christ took on so that we can put on. So Christ took on and so we can put on. About, well, I'd say a couple years ago when the pandemic just started to happen, I told my wife, I was like, I'm kind of ready to just get out of Oregon, just run and move somewhere to like Wyoming. My wife graciously and tenderly responded to that and said, they would, uh, if, if you move to Wyoming, they will eat you alive with your Lululemon joggers. <laughs> Pretty much verbatim, that's what my wife said. So in other words, you're not manly enough to try to go and be a poser in Wyoming. So I would stick around here. And so we have. But what I would also say is in moments like that, when people say things to you, we, we, we have the option to do something. We can put on people's comments We can take and attach those things to ourselves, make them so deeply personal that they start to define who we are, or we can leave them out in front of us recognizing what they are. They're comments spoken by humans, which at times can obviously be really painful, but they're not ultimately God's words spoken by God, the creator that are divine, that are declared over us. So this morning, I would challenge you with this. Is there something that you're wearing right now? There's something that you've probably put on. Maybe you woke up this morning and what you've put on and what you're wearing is shame. Maybe what you're wearing is guilt. Maybe what you're wearing is fear. But the encouragement today is that we recognize what we have ultimately, what ultimately has been put on us by God through his grace is the work of his son, his righteousness, his holiness, and his purity. And so that's my hope and understanding that we understand this morning as we look at this passage on Jesus's baptism, that that we recognize what Jesus took on and what therefore we get to put on as a result of that. So Mark chapter one, nine through 11 says this, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We're just going to break this down real quick, verse by verse. We're celebrating baptisms today. And so we want to look at this passage on Jesus getting baptized. And specifically, what does it mean? And what do we get to put on as Christians that have placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ? So first, let's recognize this, the message, and and this will help you understand what the gospel is, which is what Christians believe. We would say this, that, that we would love for you, even if you're not a Christian, to know what our message is that we believe and be able to faithfully represent that. So this is it. 
And you can see it in the first few words here. It says this, in those days, Jesus came. God himself came. God himself came to his creation that he created. The message of Christianity isn't come or climb up. It's that ultimately God came to do what we could not do. That's where it starts. Jesus came. And it also says that he came from Nazareth of Galilee. And so we understand this is that Jesus came. If we look at his genealogy, he came from a long line of sinners. But he also came from a place called Nazareth. And we know from uh, John chapter one, there's this guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, can anything or any, basically anyone good come from Nazareth? And his friend Philip says, come and see. And so we know this, that Jesus came from a town that didn't have a great reputation from a line that didn't necessarily have a great reputation. Why? Because Jesus came and he came specifically for sinners. And he came for those that recognize that we're not good enough to merit our own favor and make ourselves right with God. So first we start with that in this passage, the message of Christianity is not come climb up, work your way to the top. It's that Jesus ultimately came and he came for sinners and he came for those that recognize that they need help and we have great need and we, we are in need of his grace. Next, we look at this. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. In Isaiah, it's promised that there's going to be someone that's coming to prepare the way of the Messiah. That's in Isaiah 40 chapter three. And what we have is we have John out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah because the Messiah has come. Why the Jordan River? If you know your Bible, th th this is really significant and I think really, really awesome. Jesus is, is going out to the Jordan River. If you read back in your Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. And what they were doing is they were entering the promised land. And so Moses, who represented the law, did not take the nation of Israel into the promised land. There was this guy named Joshua and Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. And so Yeshua takes them across the Jordan river and into the promised land. Jesus steps into the same river here. And what he's doing is stepping into the river of the, or he's stepping into the Jordan river and saying the greater Yeshua, because Jesus is derived from Yeshua. He's saying the greater Joshua, the greater Yeshua is here not to take you into just the land, but to take you into promised eternity to be reconciled with my father. So this river is so significant because we trace it back to the Old Testament to see that the nation of Israel cross it to get in the promised land. But we see Jesus here saying, ultimately, I'm the one that's going to bring you into the promised land, into eternal safety where you can be reconciled with God. So that's where it starts off. We have to ask this question. Why was Jesus baptized? Have you ever thought about that? Why was Jesus baptized? If he was sinless, if he was perfect, if he was completely obedient, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus was baptized at the very start of his ministry. Remember, we're in Mark chapter one to show how his ministry would end. Jesus was not a sinner, but he was going to identify himself as a sinner. He was going to take on our sin head on. And what he was going to do is become sinful, become disobedient, become unrighteous so that through him and in him, we can become in God's eyes, righteous and obedient. So Jesus starts his ministry by showing this is how it's going to end. I'm going to be identified as a sinner so you can be identified as one being completely sinless. Chapter or verse 10 says this. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. What does this mean? Jesus comes out of the water and the heavens are torn apart. We also see something really significant here that Jesus's ministry starts the same way it's going to end. You see, in the old covenant, you couldn't enter into a place called the most holy place. And the reason why is because God being holy would consume you by an unholy presence. And so there was a curtain that separated the most holy place. The only way you got in there is through bloodshed, through purification. 
And then what happens here is that we're seeing Jesus's ministry starting the same way it's going to end. If you know anything about what happened with Jesus on the cross, after he said it is finished, the, 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 the curtain was torn that separated people from entering the most holy place. But it wasn't torn from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom, showing this. This is not about your work. It's about God's supernatural deliverance that he's going to provide. It's not about man's efforts to tear this curtain and get in. It's ultimately about what God is going to do and provide through and in his son. This also takes us back to the Old Testament again. If we look at Exodus, God tears apart, divides the sea, and brings his people into safety. It's showing the same thing, that ultimately God is the one who provides deliverance and brings people into, safe, into safety and into a relationship with him. It also says the spirit descended on him. A better reading of the Greek would be descended into him. There's this union language with the spirit of God. It's the same union language as this. When we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, Listen to this. The same God, the same spirit that empowered Jesus Christ comes to live and empower us so we can live faithful to the new identity God has given us. Verse 11 says this, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What's happening here is this. Notice that God says this at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. God, God could have said this because after this, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he's tempted. God, God could have said, hey, let's see how you do with that first. Let's try that out. Let's see how the temptation from the enemy goes. We'll see how maybe that works out if you're obedient. And, and then I'll declare these words to you. That's not how God works. God says, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is connected to an identity. God's love for him is not contingent upon the supernatural miracles that he's going to do, the work that he does. God's love is not connected to his children based upon what we do or don't do. It's based upon the identity. God's words to Jesus become God's words to us through faith in Jesus Christ. These are my children whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. I once had someone challenge me and, and, and they said this. They said, I believe those are, uh, those are God's words to Jesus. And I asked them where our lives are hidden because our lives are hidden in Christ. And so what happens is when Jesus went to the cross, what he was doing is taking on our sin, taking on our rebellion, taking on our disobedience. But what he was doing is making a great exchange is he was trading places with us with where we should have been and saying, I'm now going to give you my life of obedience the wrath that I absorb for you so that you can be one with God. So you can be reconciled to God. You can be unified with God so that God can love you infinitely and, and eternally like he loves me. That's the reason why Jesus came. That's what this is ultimately about. And therefore God delights in the work of his son. Think about that. How much does God delight in, in, in his son's life of obedience? How much does God delight in what Christ accomplished on the cross? That work in Christ now belongs to you. It's been put on you. You bear, you wear the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. Righteousness means this. It means innocence. It means that you are right with God. And so you bear the, the, the righteous innocence of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you, he's never going to change the way that he sees you like that, righteous and innocent. Now, I'm going to do this real quick to just kind of explain this a little bit better, but also engage our kids that are with us today. Can I get a couple kids as volunteers? Ronnie Gogan said, not these kids. Jesse Williams. Okay. Thank you. You raise your hand. Uh, who, who do we got back there? All right. Come on up. I love that you guys are so willing to volunteer and you don't even know for what. Can you guys stand right up here for me? Okay. When I say that Christ takes on or he took on and then we get to put on, what I mean is this, is that ultimately Christ had a perfect and sinless life of complete purity. 
That's represented by what's your name? Isla. That's represented by the shirt that's white and pure that Isla has on. What we bring to the table is our sin and disobedience represented by Catherine. I'm sorry that you were selected for this today, Catherine, but that's what this represents right here. What happens is this. I need you guys not to move at all. Okay. Stand completely still. What Christ does kiddos is this is he removes our sin by taking it on himself. And I'm not going to make them completely do this again. But what happens is this is there's this exchange that happens is Christ doesn't just kind of kind of become a sinner. He becomes fully sinful. And what he does is he takes away our sin, but then he takes it on himself. But he doesn't just remove sin because then we would get dirty again or do something impure. What he does is he supplies and he adds something, something we put on, something that defines us for the rest of our lives, but for the rest of eternity. And what it is, is his righteousness. So what, what we get with Christianity is this, is that Jesus takes on and he took on our sin and he became sinful. What we get to put on is his righteousness, his innocence and his purity. And this defines us forever. The really amazing thing is this, is that we can't make what Christ gave us dirty because it was his life that was already lived for us 2000 years ago. Can we give it up for our uh, volunteers today? The greatest thing that, that we can hear from our creator is this. This is my child with whom I am well pleased. It takes us back to this, again, to our Old Testament, to Genesis 22. Abraham takes his son, his only son, up the hill to be sacrificed to God. And before he does it, God says, stop. And, and, and God says this, now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. The way we as Christians know this, that God loves us and never has to prove his love for us again is that God didn't withhold his son from us, his only son. If you're ever going to question or doubt God's love for you, you can always go back to this one moment 2000 years ago where he said, I am the one that is giving up my son. I am the one that is not holding back my only son. If you want to know how I love you and how much I love you, you can look to this moment in history and you'll never have to question my love again. How do we enter in? How do we gain access? It's simple. God, by his grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, is how we get to hear the words for all eternity. This is my child with whom I am well pleased. Then what do we do in response? How do we live out of this? I'll give us three quick ways and we'll wrap up. Number one, if you are a child of God, you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You have a new unchangeable identity, righteous, pure child of God. What we do with that is we live consistent to who God has made us. It would make no sense for us to continue to run after sin and live in rebellion because it's not actually true to our new nature and who we are as God's child. And so we live holy lives because God has made us holy. I think one of the ways that we tell people that have a true genuine faith long-term are people that are actually not just hearers of the word, but practices, uh, uh, ones that actually do the word, that are living it out and living true to their new nature in Christ. Next. We live lives pursuing those who don't have an identity in Christ. We recognize this. There are many people that are our neighbors, people in our workplaces that don't yet have an identity, that, that haven't heard the words, this is my child with whom I'm well pleased. We want them to hear those words. And it comes by us giving out, getting out of our comfort zones and living faithful on mission. Number three. Live lives ref reflecting Christ's life of dying to ourselves and living for one another. Christ's ministry was not, let me see what I can take. Sadly, much of Christianity today is let me see what I can consume. That's really sad because a, a reflection of Christ is this. Let me see what I can give. 
Let me give my life. And in, and in so doing, there's going to be more joy because the way that God has, as, as God, the creator, he started off in creation giving. There's something to our souls intrinsically tied to joy when it comes to giving. We give our time, we give our finances, we give our lives in a sacrifice to not just God, but to one another. So my encouragement today is this, as we move into a time of baptism today, we're going to baptize a couple people. It's this symbolic reminder of this, that ultimately Christ came, identified himself and took on our sinful nature so that in him, we can take on his perfect sinless nature. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. As our worship team comes up to close us out, I pray we would celebrate that Jesus, you're the one that came and made the ultimate perfect way. You're the true and greater Joshua. You're the one that has saved us by your grace. We have access to the most holy place and it's all supernatural by what you've done, not by what we can do. Thank you for, for our Bibles that point to you through and through, Jesus. We pray all this in your name, amen.